just before I begin, just want to let you know, my name is Robert uh, Blaze, and I'm originally from Montreal, now I live in British Columbia, and I'm part of a ministry called Unit Ministry, and uh, if you're interested, you can go on our website, which is unit-ministry.com. Um, it's a little out of date, we had a problem with our server, but eventually we'll fix it, and it'll be up to date. So this morning, for the next three hours, we'll be talking about righteousness by faith. Now, as I mentioned a little bit um, yesterday evening, it is such a broad topic. There is so much things to talk about that three hours will be very difficult to cover everything. And so we'll have to be choosing what we'll talk about. And um, you will most likely uh, leave late. <laughs> but that's your choice. I mean, I will probably go over time. Uh, so you might start your dinner, your lunch a little late, but I can't stop you from leaving and I'm not going to be angry if at 12 o'clock you can't take it anymore and you have to go, all right? So, but I, wanna, I want us to, to get as much time together so we can cover as much things together. So before I, I begin anything else, let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we come to you this morning because you are, Lord, the source of all things. You are the source of our lives and you are the source of our ways. And Lord, you are the source of righteousness. And this morning, as we come to you to open the scripture and the words from the spirit of prophecy, we pray and ask, Lord, that you will guide our hearts and our mind that we may understand this very important doctrine. And I pray, Lord, that you will be fulfilled today and that all that we'll be doing, thinking and speaking about will be for your glory. Please, Lord, edify your people that are here and help us, Lord, to do all that you require of us. I pray and ask also that you put your words in my mouth, Lord, because I cannot speak on this matter unless you, Lord, be the one speaking. And I pray that you also forgive our sins, Lord, that we may all be united and one and not divided and not separated from you. And I thank you, Lord, for being faithful to us, and I pray that you will help us to be faithful to you as well. And I pray all this in the most beautiful name under heaven and in heaven, that is the name of Jesus. So how many of you have heard of the expression righteousness by faith? Probably most of you, right? <coughs> righteousness by faith is one of those doctrines that is so important, it's kind of like the glue that binds all other doctrines together. And as you're going to see, as we, as we go through so many verses today, you will start noticing um, that righteousness is actually everywhere in the Bible. Righteousness by faith is, is um, not pervasive, but it permeates everything. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to move logically, and our methods will be Bible. We're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to let the Bible speak for itself. And then we're going to consult the spirit of prophecy, and then we're going to start thinking, right? We're going to use our logic. And maybe if we have time, which I don't think we will, we might look at other sources. Um, <clears throat> I hope we'll have some time at the end to ask some questions. And I know this is a, a large commitment because it's a three-hour session. I know you, you might go elsewhere to look at other seminars, and that's fine. But I just want you to understand that things will be uh, moving and building on each other. And so you will only get the whole and full pictures at the end of these three hours plus. All right. <laughs> okay. And uh, we're not here to debate. 
Because if you know anything about righteousness by faith, it is one of the most um, debated topic in the Adventist church itself and also in the rest of the churches. It is uh, highly misunderstood and highly misrepresented from, from our, our people sitting in our pews to our pastors, to our scholars, to our theologians, our conference uh, presidents, and, and anybody has an opinion. But what we're interested is what the Bible has to say. Amen? And so that's what we're going to do today. Now, one thing that I'm going to spend a lot of time with is uh, defining terminology, right? A lot of the differences that we have is because we don't understand what things mean. For example, what is grace? Somebody tell me what is grace. What is, what is the response that we usually get? Yes. Okay. All right. So I, I see wh where you're going. And if I would ask you, can you give me Bible for it? then it will be a little more difficult, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. And one of the things with grace is, is most people will say, well, it's an unmerited favor, right? You've heard that. Or it's a gift from God that we don't deserve. And then I would ask the person, okay, so grace is a gift. What's the gift? And then the person will say, well, it's grace. Okay, so what is grace? Well, it's a gift. Well, what's the gift? Well, it's grace, right? And at the end of the day, we're, we're not going anywhere. Right? We still don't know what grace does. We just know that it's a gift and it's free. So we need to, and we're going to look at grace, by the way, and a lot of other things. We're going to look at tons of words, and the idea is for us to get a better understanding of righteousness by faith. So before we go anywhere, we need to figure out what is righteousness. Make sense? Uh, by the way, we'll have nine sections, right? So we'll try to get through all of this. So it's important to know righteousness because Jesus himself told us that we ought to uh, seek first his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, we'll be moving quite fast and I know the slides will be on the screen. So if you take notes of at least the references, you can go back and study for yourself. And you ought to do that because we will not exhaust everything. You need to go and study these things on your own. So Jesus tells us that we ought to... Um, seek his righteousness. So righteousness is something that we search for. The Bible also tells us in 1 Peter 2.24 that we should live unto righteousness. So righteousness is something to live for. It's a goal. And in 1 John 3.7, John tells us that he that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Who is that he? That's Christ. Right? So righteousness is also something that we do. And by doing this righteousness, we are righteous. Okay? That's what the Bible says. <clears throat> In 2 Peter 2.21, we read, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. So here we, we read that righteousness is a way of living. It's a way of life. It's something that gives you direction. And it also tells us that it is connected with the holy commandment, right? With the law of God. So far, so good? Amen. Uh, if, if you're a little confused there, just please pop a hand because we're here to understand and to learn. Uh, <clears throat> in Romans, Romans 6, 16 to 19, we read... 
Uh, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey is servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Right? So in order to, um, to have righteousness, we have to, ob we have to obey. And the other thing is that we have to be a servant to it, a servant unto righteousness. Now, people don't like this idea of servanthood, and it's because there's a lot of stigma attached to it, which is understandable, but there's only two choices. You serve sin or you serve righteousness. <clears throat> it goes on saying that when you are free from sin, you can become the servant of righteousness. But if you have a servant if you are a servant from sin, what does that mean? You are free from righteousness, which is not a good thing. Christ Object Lessons tells us, righteousness is right doing, and it is by their deeds that all will be judged. So righteousness is something that we do. That's Christ Object Lesson, page 312. In First Selected Messages 225, um, we read, When the judgment shall sit, and the books shall be opened, and every man shall be judged according to the things written in the books, then the tables of stones, what are those? The Ten Commandments, right? Hidden by God until that they will be presented before the world as the what? The standard of righteousness. Okay, what is a standard? Yeah, something that you follow, okay? Like a standard, for example, comes from the idea of, you know, a meter. You know what a meter size is, the size of a meter? How do you know what the size of a meter is? <laughs> because there is a standard out there, right, that tells you this is the length of a meter. And everybody that, you know, measures rulers get that standard to know exactly the length of a meter. And so in order for us to know what righteousness is, God has given us a standard, and that's the law of God. That's the Ten Commandments. So when you look into the Ten Commandments, you know what righteousness is all about. It goes on saying that men and women will see the prerequisite of their salvation is obedience to the perfect law of God. One more, Christ Object Lessons 3.15. God requires perfection of his children. His law is a transcript of his own character. Okay, so now we're, we're starting to move, okay? So righteousness, we've learned, is right doing. Right, the standard of righteousness is the law. The law is a transcript of God's character. And it is the, the, the transcript of God's character, and it is the standard of all character, this infinite standard is presented to all that there may be no mistake in regard to the kind of people whom God will have to compose his kingdom. Um, <clears throat> the life of Christ on earth was a perfect expression of God's law, and when those who claim to be children of God become Christ-like in character, they will be obedient to God's commandment. Then the Lord can trust them to be of the number who shall compose the family of heaven. All right, so... <clears throat> Here's what this is all about. Righteousness is the perfect character of God. Righteousness is defined by the law because the law is the, is the transcript of the character of God. 
And I'm so happy this morning that uh, Brother Zita talked about character. Right? He talked about how do we get to building a character from our thoughts to our words and actions to our habits, and that forms the character. That's why character is also about right doing. Righteousness is about right doing. Okay? Yes? That's correct. That's correct. This is exactly what she says uh, here, that it's the, the law is the standard of the character of God, and the law is the standard of righteousness. So <coughs> the completeness of the character of God, that means is perfect love, is perfect mercy, is perfect patience, is perfect everything, basically, that is what righteousness is. She also says that that character is the standard of our character. And she says also that only when we have this character, then God can trust us to be in heaven. So you start seeing our important righteousnesses, right? It's not just something very vague. It's something excessively important for us as Christians. Now, <clears throat> very important, and I, I want you to understand that, it doesn't mean that we have to be God, okay? Because it almost sounds like that, because if I have to have the character of God, then I have to be God. No, you don't, because God is not just about character. God has divine attribute that we as humans don't have. We cannot, can never have omnipotence. We can never have omniscience. And we can never have omnipresence. But we can have a character that is in line with the character of God. A character that does the right thing. That does what God would do in our own sphere, of course. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But just understand that it doesn't, we don't have divinity. We have humanity. So obviously we cannot be God. Okay, just want to make sure that we're all there. So what have we learned so far? So far righteousness is the character of God. And righteousness is the standard of all characters. The standard of righteousness is the law. The law, of course, is the transcript of God's character. And Jesus is the example of righteousness. Selected Messages 106 says, Christ came to our world to represent the character of God as it is represented in His holy law, for His law is the transcript of His character. The gospel of salvation brings men to obedience of the law, whereby their characters are formed after the divine similitude. So if you want to know what the character of God is, look at Jesus. Right? Righteousness is all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's very little about us. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, uh, page 18. Righteousness is holiness, likeness to God, and God is love. It is conformity to the law of God, for all the commandments are righteousness. That's in Psalms 119, 172. And love is the fulfilling of the law. Therefore, righteousness is love, and love is the light and life of God. The righteousness of God is embodied in Christ. So all I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to put all these things together so we have a better rounded idea and understanding of righteousness. Romans 10.3 says something very interesting. Paul declares um, that there are people that are being ignorant of God's righteousness and they go about to establish their own righteousness 
and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So what do we have here? We have two types of righteousness, right? There's a, a human righteousness and there's a divine righteousness, or so it seems, anyways. Paul goes on saying in Romans, um, no, Philippians 3 9. He <coughs> um, says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So that's very interesting because now Paul says that the righteousness of man is through the law. But the righteousness of God is by faith. And, and that sounds like there, there's, that sounds like there's a problem. Because how, what is the standard of righteousness? The law. But Paul says that human righteousness is of the law. So it almost sounds as if saying there's a problem with the law. Yet righteousness is in the law. Okay, now just start to understand why this thing starts to get complicated. All right? Now we're going to try to unpack that so it's not complicated. Because the problem is not the law. In the last two texts, the problem is not righteousness. The problem is that three-letter word here. Own. My own righteousness that is in the law. Mine own righteousness, the righteousness of men that is my own. So we need to discover something about the law. What, what is the problem with the law? Is there a problem with the law? I suggest that there is no problem with the law. The problem is with men. When we try to um, use the law for our own benefit. Because the logic would be very simple. If righteousness is in the law, and I want righteousness, what should I do? Keep the law, right? Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Galatians 2.21 says, If righteousness come by the law, then Christ has died in vain, is dead in vain. Now, did Christ die in vain? No. So what does that tell us? Our righteousness doesn't come by the law. <clears throat> and here's why. Romans 8, 3 and 4, it says, For what the law could not do, okay, there's something that the law can't do, right? And because of that, God had to send His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin to condemn sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. So the law could not fulfill righteousness in us. That's why Jesus had to come so that it could be fulfilled in us. And th that might be very vague right now, but we're going to talk a little later how, we're gonna, how that happened. But right now, I just want you to understand that the law cannot give us righteousness, and it cannot make us righteous. Bible clearly says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, in Romans 3.20, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. What does the word justified mean? It's very simple. It means to make righteous. So you could read this text very simply. The deeds of, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be made righteous in his sight. Whose sight? 
in God's sight. Right? So we cannot, by keeping the law, be made righteous. It doesn't work. So the law is righteous, and keeping the law cannot make us righteous. And this is why. Because we all have sinned and we have come short of the glory of God. We have come short of the character of God. Okay, glory is another expression for character. And so because of that, when we work for the reward, which is righteousness, Romans 4.4, 4, we're not, we're in debt. We become in debt. Let's say you, um, <coughs> most of you are students or were students and uh, you want to go to college or university and uh, this, this university you want to get into is, is, you know, really tough to get into. You need, you need a hundred percent average, right? It's a pretty tough place to get in, right? So you start taking your test. You take your first test, you get a hundred percent. What's your average? hundred percent, right? You're in. You take your second test, third test, fourth test, you get all 100. What's your average? 100. So you're in, right? Then you take your fifth test. You get 90%. It's a pretty good grade, right? But what's your average? Yeah, it just dropped down, right? It's not 100 anymore. Are you getting into college? No, you're not getting into college, at least not that college, right? And now you go on and you take your six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 test. You get 100 in every test. Are you getting into college? No, why? Because your average is still not 100%, right? So basically, you're, you, you, can, you don't make up for what you've lost. Let me read you a few more quotes, and then I'll unpack that to make it clearer. Uh, <clears throat> but that which of God, this is in uh, Review and Herald, September 3, 1901. So uh, our age, September 3. But that which God required of Adam in paradise before the fall, he requires in this age of the world from those who follow him, perfect obedience to his law. Okay? But what did we read before? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we have not all perfectly obeyed the law of God. In Christian, Christian education, we read that in heaven there is perfect order. Perfect obedience, perfect peace and harmony. Those who have had no respect for order or discipline in this life would have no respect for the order which is observed in heaven. They can never be admitted into heaven for all worthy of an entrance there will love, order, and respect discipline. Ouch. That's a pretty strong statement. Uh, in uh, Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page uh, 1072, it says, God requires of all his subjects obedience, entire obedience to all his commandments. He demands now as ever perfect righteousness as the only title to heaven. The college you're trying to get into is heaven. To get to heaven, you need perfect obedience. You need your 100% average in all the commandments. But, you know, and, and your tests, your tests are more tricky. Your test is, is, uh, is, is a multiple choice, so it's good, right? And, uh, but, but it's only one question. It's not even a question, it's, it's one choice, really. It's obey or disobey. 
It's keep or break. It's right or wrong. It's righteousness or unrighteousness, right? So you can get 100% as long as you obey, but the moment that you get to your test or your trial and you don't obey, how much do you get? You get zero, right? So it's not just 90%, it's zero. So you fall pretty low. And no matter how much you try to keep the law and to obey, you can never make up for that little percentage that you've missed. Because there's no bonus. You can never get 110%. So keeping the law is only good in itself when you keep the law. It can never make up for what you've missed or what I've missed. Does that make sense? Right? And that's how it works. And, and we have a problem because to get to heaven, we need 100%. We need perfect obedience. We need to get it right. So, <clears throat> a little lie. Well, it's still a lie, right? It can be a white lie. It, it, it can be a little lie. It can be a lie not to hurt somebody, but it's still a lie. It's not perfect obedience to the law that says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not lie, right? Uh, <clears throat> gossip is the same thing, right? Gossip is murdering somebody's character. Our brother Zita talked about it this morning. That's it's kind of murder. It's kind of, you know, thou shalt not kill. And there's on and on and on these little things that creeps into our lives that makes uh, us falling short all the time of what we ought to be. And that's how we fall short of the glory and the character of God. Uh, <clears throat> like I have this saying that if you, you know, keeping the law will not get you into heaven. But not keeping it will keep you out of heaven. Now I want to make this worse. <clears throat> Ezekiel 18.24 But when the righteous, okay, who, somebody who's righteous, somebody who does righteousness, right? So when the righteous turn away from his righteousness and committed iniquity and doeth according to all the abomination that the wicked men doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he had done shall not be mentioned. So it's, it's not just that your average drops down from a 100. It drops down to nothing. Nothing. That's why James in chapter 2, 10, 11 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in, how many point? One point he is guilty of all. If thou commit no adultery, say, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. Yes. The previous one was Ezekiel 18:24, and this is James 2, 10, 11. And so the law is a package. It's all or nothing. That's why we have some difficulties when, when, when you know, people want to do away with the Sabbath. So how do you work that out? How can you have the whole law and yet do away with part of it? Now, <clears throat> so not only if we, we miss out our average drop, our average drop to nothingness. Let's make it worse. <clears throat> The Bible tells us that the carnal mind, that's what you're born with, the carnal mind is 
enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So your mind, your mind cannot be subject to the law of God, cannot obey the law of God, cannot be servant of the law of God, and it can't. It's impossible. Or is it? Right? The carnal mind can't. So there's a problem with our mind, and the mind needs to change. But it is not impossible because God clearly, well, Jesus clearly told us in Luke 18, 27, that the things which are impossible with God, uh, with man, sorry, are possible with God. The things that are impossible with man are possible with God. So although our mind cannot be subject to the law, and it is impossible for us to do so, God has a solution. God has a plan. Bible also tells us in Hebrew 11.6 that without faith it is impossible to please Him. And in the previous verse we, we would have read, um, <coughs> ah, not this one here. Yeah. Okay, without faith it is impossible to please Him. And when we come to God we have to be able to please Him. And do you think that uh, law keeping would please God or displease Him? Right, it would please Him. So we need to figure some things out. Because <coughs> keeping the law is only good when I keep it, but because I'm falling short of the glory of God, I'm in debt. So I can never keep the law enough to make up. My righteousness is completely gone the moment I fall. And since the Bible tells us that we have all fallen short, well, we have no righteousness, and it is impossible for me to keep the law and to please God on my own strength. So now the question is, how in the world is the law helpful to me? Is it just there to condemn me? Is it just there to point at me? Is it just there to tell me my sin? Well, kind of, because Romans 3.20 tells us that by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so now we need to talk about sin. Okay, and that's why I'm telling you righteousness is important, righteousness by faith, because everything is interconnected. It's everywhere. And so <clears throat> the law is helpful to us because... It gives us the knowledge of sin. What is sin? That's correct. 1 John 3, 4 tells us that sin is the transgression of the law. And I want to add this comment here from the Bible Commentary, Volume 7, uh, page 951. Ellen White tells us clearly this, sin is the transgression of the law, is the only definition of sin. The only definition of sin. She puts it in different way in over 31 passages where say it's either the only definition of sin, it's the only biblical definition of sin, it's the only true definition of sin. Without the law there can be no transgression because by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then she goes on to say the standard of righteousness is exceeding broad, prohibiting every evil thing. So it's not just about, um, and she takes that from Psalm 119.96, and it's not just about the fact that uh, you murder physically somebody and they die that you break the law. Because murder starts in your mind, right? We've learned that this morning. So that's why the commandments are exceedingly broad, because it's not just about your actions. It's about your thoughts. It's about your words. 
Subhanallah is the knowledge of sin. And Paul clearly tells us in Romans 4.15 that when there is no law, there is no transgression. If there's no transgression, there is no sin. Romans 5.13, sin is not imputed when there is no law. The word imputed means credited. Okay, so if, there, if there's no law, sin is not credited to you. And that's why we're, we're able to, to talk about people that don't know God and to say, well, you know, they didn't know about the law of God. They didn't know about the Sabbath. They didn't know about all the doctrines and they died. Well, God will only judge them according to what they knew. And they couldn't know their sin because they didn't have the law. And therefore, God is fair and does not credit it to them. Uh, we've heard of, of something called a sin of ignorance, right? Anybody heard of sin of ignorance? Okay, a sin of ignorance is a sin that you didn't know was a sin. Now, is it still a sin? Yeah, it's still a sin. But God is fair. He's not going to credit it to you because you didn't know it was a sin. But God doesn't leave you in that state. You know, some people say ignorance is bliss, right? If you don't know, the stove, when it's turned on, will burn you, does not protect you from getting burned. So that's not <laughs> bliss, that's pain, right? Whether you like it or not, sin hurts, whether you know about it or not. And so for a sin of ignorance to be a sin of ignorance, you need two things. You need first to have no knowledge of the law, and you have to have no possibility of knowing about the law, right? North America has no excuses. We have internet. Everybody can go find out about the law. We have churches all around the place, right? It's not the same thing when you go maybe somewhere like India or, or in those other countries where they, they, just, they just can't, right? Or in China or places like that. But here in North America, we have no excuse. <clears throat> and so for us to claim ignorance, you really have to try really hard to be ignorant. And, and God is even, is even better than that because He doesn't leave us in a state of ignorance. He will bring us knowledge to our mind that we may realize that we are sinning so that we can, you know, deal with it. We can confess and repent from our sins. God is fair. He says that at the time of ignorance, God winked, winked at our sin. But now, now that we know, right, this is in context of, of um, I, I think Paul was preaching to these people who didn't know what they were doing. And he says, yeah, in the past, fine, you didn't know, but now you know. And he commands all men everywhere to repent. Uh, Romans 7, verses 7 to 12. <clears throat> Paul says, I had not known sin, but by the law. Okay, Paul would not have known what sin was unless it was from the law. I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And goes on saying, For without the law, sin was dead. Now, it's not that he, you know, sin got murdered or anything. It's just sin did not exist. Sin couldn't be there. Sin was inexistent. And then he goes on saying, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived. So it came back into his life, and then he died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, it slew me. What is he talking about? Well, very simple. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Now, what kind of death is that? Is that the death that we're experiencing every day around the world? 
No. This is second death. This is end of existence. This is like you, you've never been, you never were, and you never will be again. This is the second death. This is what Revelation speaks about. The death that we have here, okay, I know it's, it's difficult and I know it's hard when people die and we're sad and everything, but think about it. Every single person that has died so far will all, all have victory over death because everyone will be resurrected, right? Either first resurrection or the second resurrection, but everyone will be resurrected. So think about that. Okay, death is, is, is difficult because we're separated from the people we love, but it's not the end. This death is the end. There is no resurrection after that one. <clears throat> okay, so um, just to clarify, wages. When do you get wages? Through work, right? You, you do certain things and you're, 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 you earn or you deserve um, something, you deserve wages because of the work you've done. So the wages of sin, so the work of sin, when you do sin, when you perform sin, its result or its wages is that second death. <coughs> so now, how does knowing all that helps me? How does knowing that the law tells me that I'm, you know, I'm doing these sins and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to die and I'm, I'm, how does that help? James 1.22 tells us something very interesting. And I'm sure you've heard that in many evangelistic series, and it's true. Uh, James 1, 22-25, toward the end it says that uh, whosoever looketh in the perfect love of liberty and continue therein, therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Okay, this is the idea that the law is like a mirror. So you have a mirror, and you look at yourself in the mirror, and what do you see? Well, you see, you know, probably yourself, and then you see what's wrong with you or what's right with you, right? You see these things. But when you look into the law of God, it's compared to a mirror. What's the first thing you see? Do you see yourself? Now let me pu put the question differently. Yeah, what should you see? You should see the perfect character of God because that's the standard of it. So you look in the law. You see the perfect character of God. You see his love. You see his mercy. You see how awesome and great he is. And, and then suddenly you start noticing, I'm, I'm not quite there. I, I don't have that. I, I'm missing this. I, I, I. And it's not because the, the law so much points <coughs> as your sin as much as it points to God. And that's why the law is super important and helpful because it helps us to see the righteousness of God and it helps us to understand what it truly is and it helps us to understand who we are and what we are and as I as I look at God's perfectness or perfection I start to see my flaws and my failures and my imperfection when I look in the glory of the Lord, we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that eventually we will be changed in the same image. You've heard that expression from a spirit of prophecy? By beholding the character of Christ, you will become changed into His likeness. 
By beholding Christ, can we be changed in his likeness? In the, in the letter that uh, was uh, reproduced in This Day with God, page 46, she, she writes to her brother, and I, and I think that's very interesting. She says, my dear brother, what have you been beholding? By beholding the imperfection of men and women, you are gradually becoming changed into the same likeness. Make a decided change and look to Jesus that by beholding his perfection, you may become changed into his image. What have we been beholding? What am I beholding? What are you beholding? It's serious. Because you will never rise any higher than what you put before your eyes, than what you behold. If you behold Christ, then you can rise up above this world, and you can rise up to righteousness. But if the only thing you're beholding, or mostly beholding, or somewhat beholding, is the world, you'll never rise up above it. If your time is spent on, on Facebook or Instagram or all these things that I don't know about, and that's all you keep beholding what these people are doing, well, this is your standard. This is the image that you're conforming to. If Hollywood is, is what you spend your time with, then that's the image you're conforming to. By beholding, we become changed. It goes both ways. We either become changed in the image of Christ or in the image of this world. Now, in the Galatian church, there was a, um, a problem where people, uh, uh, actually, there's many churches, rather, I should rephrase that. Let me, <coughs> many churches out there uses the text in Galatians to say that the law had been done away with. <coughs> and unfortunately, they, they missed the part in the passage where, um, they see the, the relationship between the law and sin and righteousness by faith. And I want to go through it a little bit uh, before we uh, kind of try to move on here. Uh, <clears throat> Galatians 3, 21 to 29. First thing Paul says, is the law then against the promises of God? The answer seems quite clear. God forbid. For there have been a law given which could have, if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But we've already established that it is not, it cannot be. But the scripture had concluded all under sin. The promise by faith Jesus Christ may be given to them that believe. Who's them? Them that are under sin, they're all under sins. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Why are we kept under the law? When does the law keep you under its, itself or its feet? It's when you break it, right? It's when you go against it. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Okay, and I love these passages here. And a lot of people says, well, you see, the law was a schoolmaster. Schoolmaster is this idea of this person that teaches you, right? A teacher. That's what it basically is. So the law was our teacher, and it brings us to Christ. It shows us Christ. It points us to Christ. 
For what purpose? That we might be justified. What does justify mean again? To be made righteous by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer a schoolmaster. Ha! See? Now we're justified by faith. We don't need the law. We don't need the schoolmaster. Is that true? For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and he goes on and on and on and on. Well, <clears throat> here's something. That passage is true. Once you've been justified by faith, once you've been made righteous, you don't need the law to bring you to Christ because you are with Christ. But that doesn't mean that the law is gone. It doesn't say anywhere that the law is no more. The purpose of the law is to tell you what your sin is and to point you to Christ. But if the law is done away with, once you fall again, because we know it happens, and you sin, what are you going to look into? If the law is gone, then you're lost because you have nothing left. So this statement is true, but it is not a historical event. It's a personal thing. It's for you personally. And look in the passage. I've highlighted everything that is all the personal type of pronoun. It talks about them, we, our, we, we, as many of you, 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 you. It's everywhere, right? So it's not that Christ came in time and took, the way, took away the law. It's that Christ came in your life so that you were no longer under the law. But for the other person next to you who... Uh, still need the law to point them to Christ. They still need the law. You can't just take it away for everybody. It's never taken away. Okay? I'm not sure if I'm making this clear, if I'm confusing everyone here. Okay. Let me, let me try to repeat that so, so it's not confusing. The law brings us to Christ. Once I'm with Christ, once I'm righteous, the law is no longer needed for me to point me to God because I'm already there. But once I've sinned, then I need to go back to the law and look at the law because the law will tell me, well, look, this is the problem. Go back to Christ. Go back to Christ. So it's a personal, it's a personal thing. It's not a universal historical thing. So if somebody comes to, you know, to talk to you and tell you, well, no, see, Christ took away the law, the text doesn't say that at all. It never did. It never meant that. And it never will. So what we've learned so far is the law can only determine what sin is. When there's no law, there's no sin. And the wages of sin is death. And the law shows me my need for righteousness and for Christ. So the law is important. Amen? So we cannot do away with the law. Philippians 3.9, let's go back there. My own righteousness, which is of the law, doesn't do anything. We've established that. There are... People may think that by keeping the law they can be righteous, but clearly the Bible completely defeats that. You cannot keep the law in the hope of being righteous. And so God has a solution. He says uh, that there's a righteousness which is of God, and that righteousness is by faith. So now we need to talk about faith. What is faith? And we need to understand faith biblically. There's a lot of idea out there about faith. Like the, the world has a type of faith. We know that. But that's not faith. It's not 
the type of, of biblical faith that we need to understand. Because if we want righteousness, it will only come by faith. So if we don't understand faith, we'll not get the righteousness of God. Make sense? So the first thing I'd like to uh, tell you from the get-go is that faith is not blind. You've probably heard this expression, blind faith. Biblical faith is not blind because it is based, according to Hebrews 11, on substance and on evidences. <coughs> For example, um, regarding evidence, wind. Have you ever seen wind? Have you ever touched wind? You felt it, but you can't grasp it. You can't hold it. You can't conceptualize it. But is there wind? How do you know? Because you see the effect of wind, the evidence that there's wind. The trees are moving, right? Your hair gets messed up when you, you, know, you go on the street and stuff like that. You see the evidence of wind, right? It's the same thing with faith. Faith is not just... I'm following God and I'm just walking and, and everything's going to be fine. That's not faith. Okay, that is not faith. We're going to look at the four aspects of faith that makes faith faith. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith is always connected to the Word of God. We talk about, you know, there's people that talk um, about faith in a disconnected way. For example, they, they take a chair and they sit on the, oh, here it is. They take a chair, they sit on the chair. I have faith that this chair will support me. Is this faith? No, because it doesn't include the Word of God. Unless God tells me, this chair will support you, then that would be faith for me to sit on it, even if it's all crumbly and it looks like it's not going to support me. That would be faith. But you cannot dissociate faith from the Word of God. This is, this is trust. This is uh, confidence in, in the material, in the, in, the, in the make, in the metal, in the brand, and all that. But it is not faith in the biblical sense. Um. <clears throat> Okay, by the way, the word hearing here, because you see there's a progression. Comes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word hearing is not just I'm listening. It involves understanding and acting upon. So faith comes by understanding and hearing the word of God and doing something about it. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please him. And he that comes to God must believe that he is. So there is an aspect of believing in faith. It's right there. But it's not alone. It's not the only thing. Because a lot of people, that's what they say. They say, well, faith is believing. So as long as you believe, you're good. Okay. But that's not true. That's not biblical. Look at this final and fourth aspect. And, and that's why people have a hard time... Um, getting James and, and, and you know, Paul back together with this idea of faith and works, right? It's all disconnected and people don't get it. 
but it's all connected. There's no disconnect. And James put it so well. He says, um, though a man says he had faith and have not works, can faith save him? No. Thank you. No. Um, even so faith, if it had not works, is dead being alone. And the last passage says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devil believe. Do they have faith in God? No, they don't have faith in God. Do they believe in the law of God? Yeah, they believe in the law of God. Do they keep the law of God? No, that's not faith. <clears throat> but will thou know, O vain man, that faith without work is dead? Faith also, you know, True faith, true biblical faith is expressed in our actions. These are the four points. Faith is always based upon the word of God. Faith is knowing what the word of God says. Faith is believing what the word of God says it will do. And faith is, act is acting upon our knowledge and belief of the word of God. So let me give you an example. <clears throat> it's completely uh, uh, not happening, but let's say it's really bright and sunny out there, okay? And uh, we're going for outreach. And uh, in five minutes, God, you know, communicates with us and tells us it's going to pour rain like crazy in about five minutes. And you're looking outside, there's not a cloud. There's, it's bright, it's sunny, it's warm, it's perfect weather. But in five minutes, God says it's going to rain. So you've, you've just heard the word of God, and, and you know what the word of God says. Now you need to believe that it's going to rain, even if all the evidence points in the opposite direction. So now you need to do something. What are you going to do? Get an umbrella. That's faith. That's how faith works. Somebody say, oh, yeah, I, I, I believe that, you know, God will do this, 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 and that, and, and well, they don't do anything about it. Right? How can we have faith that, that Jesus is coming back, but we're not doing anything? We're just living our lives, you know, it's okay. We can do whatever we want. That's not faith. How can we believe that uh, the Word of God is true? How do we have faith in the Word of God when, you know, we don't really do anything with the Word of God? We don't read the Word of God. We don't obey the Word of God. We, don't, we just, like, use it as a paperweight. That's not faith. And that's why Jesus asked, when he comes to earth, will he find faith on earth? Luke 18, 8. There's another way to understand faith. It, it's to uh, contrast two scriptures. Uh, <clears throat> in Romans 1, 17, Paul says that the just shall live by faith. And he repeated it in Galatians 3, 11, saying that the just shall live by faith. But Jesus, in Matthew 4, 4, Quoted from Deuteronomy and says, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Now, unless there's two different ways to live, right? The just shall live by faith, and man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You can understand faith easily as living by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Your guide is the word of God, and that is true faith. Faith and works 122. Christianity is simply living by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. We are to believe in and live in Christ, 
who is the way, the truth, and the life. We have faith in God when we believe His word. We trust and obey God when we keep His commandments. And we love God when we love His law. <laughs> Signs of the time. We must have faith in the scriptures. Um, they, may have, talking about, they may have an understanding heart to believe and live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So here you have like every aspect here. To understand, to believe, to live by every word. <coughs> faith versus feeling, right? Faith versus feeling, because uh, a lot of people, you know, kind of like don't uh, dissociate both. She says here, confound not faith and feeling together. They are distinct. Faith is ours to exercise. This faith we must keep in exercise. Your feelings have nothing to do with this faith. When your faith brings the blessing to your heart and you rejoice in the blessing, it is no more faith but feelings. You know, some people, they're, they're addicted to feelings, right? You know, they, when they pray, they want to have like this good feeling. I, I think, uh, yeah, Brother Zita talked about it this morning, you know. Sometimes you, you do your devotion and, well, it, you know, it's, yeah, it was a little dry this morning. It was not... It didn't pump me up. Like, oh, you go on, on your knees and you ask for forgiveness and, and you plead and, and you get up and, well, I'm not feeling it. But feeling is not faith. Faith is doing it even if it doesn't feel good. Like, um, <clears throat> uh, we do some door-to-door -door, uh, back in our church, right? My feelings... <laughs> <laughs> tell me to not go do door to door. And I don't like door to door. I don't like knocking on people's door and having to talk to them and, you know, like feeling all weird and trying to smile and be happy and, and, and you know, they're just giving it to you. And I don't feel like, but <clears throat> God said that that's the work that has to be done. That's the work that's going to bring the gospel to the people. And by faith, I accept it and I go and do it. And by feeling... I, I just, you know, forget the feeling. <laughs> uh, Bible Commentary, Volume 6, uh, 1073. Faith and feelings are as distinct as the East is from the West. That's, that's pretty distinct. Faith is not dependent on feelings, right? I don't feel like reading my Bible this morning. Read it. I don't feel like praying. Pray. I don't feel like witnessing. <laughs> witness. We must earnestly cry to God in faith, feeling or no feeling, and then li live our prayers. Uh, that I may know him, 245, we're almost done here. Many pass long years in darkness and doubt because they do not feel as they desire, but feeling has nothing to do with faith. That faith which works by love and purifies the soul is not a matter of impulse, right? It's not, now I feel like doing something for God. No, it's like, you do it, because that's just how it is. That's what faith is, right? When, uh, when, the, uh, <clears throat> when Israel had to cross the Jordan, okay, not the Red Sea, when they had to cross the Jordan, right? Because when they crossed the Red Sea, Moses opened his arm and the water spread. When they came to the Jordan, the Jordan was flowing. And it's only when the priest stepped in the water that the water split. 
right? When you were looking at that water and it's like it's like raging, you're like, yeah, my feeling don't tell me I should go for, but God said go for. Yeah, but my feeling tells me differently. I'm gonna die. If somebody wants to take my place. It doesn't happen. Okay, by faith you go about it, right? The battle against feeling is hard. It's difficult because of our, our, our messed up human nature where our feelings have kind of taken the ascendancies and we, have, we really need um, power in order to, to put them back under subjection. But feeling should never, ever be a motivator, a motivating factor. The Word of God has to be. Amen? Uh, oh, by the way, you're not saved because you feel like it. Right? You may not feel saved. That doesn't mean you're not saved. And you, you, you may feel saved. doesn't mean you're saved. It's to do with the Word of God. So, uh, the righteousness of God is by faith, not by the law. And faith is not blind, and it's definitely not a feeling. Faith is knowing, believing, and acting upon the Word of God. So, now... Let's think back of our, our, our righteousness by faith formula, okay? Because it's kind of a formula. Now that we've identified what is righteousness and what is faith. So what is righteousness? Oh, no. Do we have to go back? <laughs> what is righteousness? Character. It's the character of God, all right? What is faith? It's, that's right. It's knowing, believing, and acting upon the Word of God. So righteousness by faith could be something like that. It's to have the character of God by believing and knowing and acting upon the Word of God. Does that make sense? And we're going to see how that's going to work because it does work. Believe it or not, have faith. It works. Okay, so the character of God is also doing and, and doing right and thinking right in the sight of God by knowing, believing, and acting on the word of God. Now, we read, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. And I promised you we're going to talk about grace, and that's what we're going to do when we come back after lunch. And actually not bad, it's 12 o'clock. Amen. God is good. But I hope I wasn't going too fast. Right? If you have questions, you know, don't hesitate because we need to understand all these things. Um, and we're, we're, we haven't really even talked about how righteousness by faith works yet. Okay? We're just establishing the foundation. And the foundation is really important. But a foundation needs to be built upon, otherwise it's useless. All right? So I've lost most of you now, so let's... Uh, Let's have a word of prayer, and, and then you, you may be dismissed for lunch. Lord, we come to you at this time, and we, we thank you, Lord, because you are so great, you're so awesome, and you're so incredibly righteous. And Lord, we, we've looked at a lot of things, and, and it's, it can be difficult to absorb everything. But Lord, we, we pray that your Spirit will continue to impress these things, even as we eat, and that we're going to continue to contemplate on your righteousness, on your law, on the problem of sin and on faith, Lord. That when we come back, we can start to understand the great work that you are doing that we have really nothing to do with. And I thank you, Lord, for being so good and so great to all of us and for giving us this chance to study your word. Please bless us and keep us. And if we've sinned in any way at this time, Lord, whether it's been in thoughts or in words or in actions, 
pray that you forgive us. And Lord, if I've miscommunicated something, I pray that your spirit will take over and, and do the work that I could not do in my human sinfulness. Thank you, Lord. And I pray all this in the holy, beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.